0: Good evening. This is Justin Ford in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with transforming terrorists. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Terrorism is an ugly reality in the world today. How can we as Christians combat terrorism without sinking down to their level, Dr.
1: Hammond? Well, now that is the challenge because the whole purpose of terrorism is to provoke a reaction, hopefully an overreaction, which they use for their political purposes for psyops or psychological operations for guilt manipulation. So the terrorists know that they are facing a more powerful enemy, therefore they cannot beat them militarily, so they aim to defeat them in the court of public opinion by provoking reaction, and then they try and ignore what they did to provoke it. And, you know, like, you've just taken in school, the bully. You know, he hit me. Um, yeah, but you hit me first. And, uh, but they're trying to somehow make a moral equivalence, but actually you to blame, even though they provoked it. And terrorism aims to do the most hideous atrocities, hoping to provoke um, hatred and overreaction from the other side. So the other side, the defenders, the police, the military, may do something so outrageous that it can be a propaganda victory for the terrorists, which is why they use human shields and they put their rockets and terrorist Weapons in civilian areas. They often will even place their rockets or terrorist activities within civilian areas or with, near a school. Uh, sometimes they will use a hospital or a church, even. And you can see that the terrorist provocations, like in Rhodesia when they shot down the Viscount civilian airliners and then killed um, a whole lot of the survivors were waiting at the plane for, for help mm. shortly after being shot down. And The whole goal is to whip up people's hatred and anger to such an extent that they will overreact. They attacked uh, churches, burned people to death inside churches, bayoneted uh, nuns and babies. Um, Elam Mission Station, which was a group of Pentecostal pacifist missionaries from England, within four kilometres of Mozambique, but they wouldn't have a fence, they didn't have dogs, they didn't have guards, they wouldn't allow the military to place any guard force uh contingent there to protect their school. When the terrorists came past, they gave them uh, medicines, even food, and they thought that by behaving so nicely to them, they'd be left alone. In fact, the very opposite occurred. Uh, in the end, the terrorists came, murdered everyone, all 13 missionaries, including their children, including a bayonet, baby being bayoneted multiple, multiple times. When people have said that the Hamas terrorist acts, nothing like this has been seen in in modern history, that's just not true. Terrorists have done these sort of hideous atrocities in Rhodesia, in Mozambique, and Angola, in Southwest Africa, and South Africa, the whole goal being to provoke reaction. So the whole purpose of terrorism is hoping that you will sink down to their level. It reminds me of a, a pilot, the, the book uh, on Franz Steigler, um, Luftwaffe, Fighter, Ace, in the Second World War, um, Adam Macross's book, um, A Higher Call, where he said, um, when he let a B seventeen bomber that was badly crippled and damaged after bombing raid in Bremen escape. In fact, he escorted them out over the uh, North Sea and uh, showed them the way back to England. The instrument panels were completely shot up, and uh, he said that when he saw this um, this virtually helpless B seventeen bomber, now okay, they had been bombing cities, and and he had every reason to want to shoot them down, but. Uh, he decided these are helpless enemy. And when he is trained, his uh, commander said, if you see an enemy pilot in a parachute, you don't shoot an enemy pilot in a parachute. Um, you don't behave well for your enemy's sake. You do it for your own sake. You cannot allow yourself to sink down to their level. You must have a higher call. And this kind of um, chivalry uh, is so important. The Bible says that when we, go to war, we should not even cut down the fruit trees in a long siege because what are we fighting for? For life. You don't want to destroy life. Again, you're meant to be fighting for freedom and for the family and for the faith. You should not end up causing more damage. In fact, this is the whole principle of the just war. The just war is a just war must have a just cause. It must use just means and there must be a just result. The result must be better than the cost. You cannot have a war which is a ferric victory where um, the costs are so much greater than whatever the benefits are. And so these are some of the principles of a just war that St. Augustine laid out for us. So uh, it is a reality, but we as Christians must not sink down to the same level as the terrorists. We have to find a higher way.
0: Um, Is terrorism ever justifiable?
1: No, I do not believe it is, because the end does not justify the means. And the whole philosophy of terrorism comes from communism. It comes from the mentality of the end justifies the means. It's a humanistic logic. But we believe in a holy God who has given us inalienable laws which cannot be violated, and his ten commands are the foundation for life and liberty. Therefore, if we cannot find a way to fight by means that doesn't lower ourselves to the end of the enemy, Uh, then we should not even go to war. So if we've got to use terrorism to counter-terrorism, if we've got to use targeting of civilians in order to protect civilians, if we find ourselves using the same tactics as the terrorists we're fighting, then we must know that we're no longer in a just war.
0: Does the Bible treat uh, terrorists? Um, And if so, how, how how are they
1: presented? Well, we read about the Midianites and the Assyrians who were a very vile and ruthless to the extent of sadism and cruelty. The atrocities they would commit against people, uh, particularly uh, designed to create terror, and the Assyrians in particular were renowned for this. They devised means of torture that was designed to terrorize people. You can even think of the Roman Empire. They designed crucifixion as the most terrifying, painful, excruciating death, and that's where the word excruciating even comes from, from uh, crucifixion. And so, yes, the Bible does... Show terrorism being used by some of these pagan nations. And then you get the zealots, these Jewish zealots who were really terrorists. In fact, some dictionaries define the zealots as the very first terrorists. Uh, people like Barabbas who uh, would go into a crowded marketplace and stab someone in the back, literally stab them in the back, um, to create chaos and terror in, in a crowd, and uh, hopefully to get overreaction and uh, some kind of atrocities by the Romans in retaliation against the civilians caught in a crossfire and then to use this for propaganda value. So you do see terrorism in the Bible. You certainly see the tactics and the motivations, Midianites, Assyrians, Zealots, uh, and of course to an even a, a degree the Romans as well. And uh, there's no doubt that they are presented. It's recorded, but they are condemned. Their tactics are not recommended. Just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's in any way uh, con- commended.
0: Could the devil be described as a prototype
1: terrorist? Definitely. The devil doesn't mind how many innocent people suffer and and are caught up in the crossfire. You just think of how, when the devil was trying to get to Job, how he destroyed his property, destroyed his family, killed his children, created as much havoc as possible, economically crippling him. Um, These are the kind of tactics that you can see uh, the devil's disciples, the terrorists using to this day. Uh, It was well said by Colonel... Jan Breitenbach, when we were doing an outreach across the border in Angola, he said, uh, introducing himself to the uh, Marxists, uh, this was during a ceasefire and we decided to use the opportunity of the ceasefire in 1989 to go across the border and preach our communist enemies. He said, I'm Colonel Jan Breitenbach of 3-2 Battalion. My men and I, we killed thousands of you. Thousands of you. We never had any trouble killing you, communists. Our problem was catching you. You ran so fast. Even when you outnumbered us 10 to 1, you fled like the spineless, yellow-bellied cowards you are. And he said, why did you flee? Because you're afraid to die, and you should be afraid to die. If you knew what was waiting for you a few seconds on the other side of the grave, you should be terrified. He said, your God is Karl Marx. Your religion is atheism. Your commissars are the priests of Satan. You're all lost. You're damned. You're doomed. You're going to burn in hell forever. If you knew what was waiting for you on the other side of the grave, you'd crawl across the minefield and beg three two battalions to show you the way of salvation, Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's, that's uh, quite uh, appropriate to point that out to them because uh, uh, they are following their, their uh, God, the devil. The devil is really, when you think of the Red Army of the Soviet Union, well, they were the Red Army, they were the devil's army. And uh, you could see it by how they burned churches, uh, murdered ministers, how they were involved in continually destroying Bibles. So, yes, I think we can see a lot of terrorists actually love love evil and they hate uh, God, they hate the Bible, they hate God. We can see how the terrorists in Zimbabwe deliberately targeted missionaries and churches and and herded missionaries together, even bayoneting the babies, herding Christians into churches, burning it down around them. Even how the terrorists in Cape Town targeted the St. James Church, the most... Effective evangelistic church in Cape Town, the largest evangelical church in Cape Town at that time, targeted for an evening service attack. Why would they attack a church? Um, Because they hate God. So, yes, the devil is the prototype terrorist. Um, Dr. Hammond,
0: you've had the opportunity of meeting with and interacting with a variety of terrorists over the years. Can these people be reached with the gospel? And have you experience any success in winning uh, terrorists to Christ?
1: Yes, certainly you can reach them uh, for Christ. And I've, I've had the opportunity of having uh, interaction with a wide variety of terrorists. Zanu, ZAPU, ANC, PLO, Swapo, uh, Frelimo, um, many communist and Muslim terrorists over the years and, uh, for example, I remember having supper with uh, Ndabizinghi Musa, um, an ex zapu terrorist in Zimbabwe and uh We were having a meal in a hotel and we were walking past the the, um, buffet and I pointed out to him that he had skipped the meat and he said, oh, he doesn't eat meat. It reminds him when they used to eat people. And uh, I thought, I'm having supper with a cannibal. Um, Another time I was having supper with about eight or nine ex-terrorists, all ex-Swalbo terrorists that had been up in Angola and many of them had been been, uh, put in prison camps because they had uh, offended the leadership in some way or another. And uh, they were laughing about Animal Farm was their favorite book because they said in Animal Farm it's all true, you know, all animals equal, but some animals are more equal than others and uh, four legs good, two legs bad and all this stuff. And uh, they mentioned how they were being kept in a pit in the middle of the village, um, middle of this camp where it was a low point and all the filth and sewage and everything just seeped into that hole where they were with just barbed wire and thorn bushes above them. And uh, no protection from the elements of the sky, the, the rain, the, the wind, uh, the dirt, everything coming in there. And at one point, one of them said to the communists who were guarding them, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? And he said, the Cuban responded, oh no, we don't want to kill you. We don't want to kill you and send you to heaven with God. No, we want you to curse Christ and come to hell with us for all eternity. And that's quite an insight there. And uh, again, there I was having a meal with people who also were talking about how they used to have human sacrifices and they would eat human flesh. It was one of the witchcraft ceremonies they engaged in up there in Angola. And uh, that was quite intriguing to meet people like that. Another time I was in Zambia, and I was with a group uh, who'd all been terrorists and communists before, and uh, they were telling me that Kenneth Kaunda, who at one time was dictator of Zambia, uh, he said uh, he would have... Uh, witchcraft ceremonies when he would worship Satan. And he said they had people like Josh Santos from Angola and uh, Trisano and Samora Michelle from Mozambique. They had Mabuchi Seseku, Robert Mugabe. These people would come together in State House in Lusaka and call on Satan, and he would appear to them physically. And I must have raised an eyebrow or something because they looked at me and said, I know you don't believe us. You whites don't believe us, but these things happen. These are real. All around the room had men, including the Zambian ambassador to the United Nations, others that were there at the time, they said, no, this just happened. They worshipped Satan by name and Satan appeared to them bodily, physically. And I was super skeptical, but uh, these were people who I had come to trust in Zambia. They were known, dedicated Christians, telling me uh, this actually happens. There's actual worshipping of Satan and these people are actually involved in human sacrifices, telling me how Mobutu says, ate human flesh, just as men had, and uh, Samora Michelle, uh, how he had actually um, made a pact for Satan, that if Satan would give him Mozambique, he would dedicate his life to the destruction of Christian church. And uh, so I've had all kinds of insights from these folks. They told me in Mozambique, some Filimo troops I was with, that they used to be given witchcraft charms, things to carry around their necks. And the witchcraft said this would turn the bullets of the white men into, into water. And so they could go into battle without any fear because they had no... Uh, they they were immune to bullets. And uh, I said, did it work? And they said, no, of course it didn't work, but you couldn't exactly go and complain after you've been shot uh, to go and complain to witch doctors because you, you wouldn't be around. And so he said, uh, uh, if you did, if anyone ever did come back to the witch doctor and said, but these charms are meant to have made us impervious to bullets, didn't work. Then it would come up with, okay, now tell me, how did you apply it? Oh, now you see, that's a problem. Were, were you in... The shade or in the sun, and you know whatever you did was the wrong way, and wh- whatever they, um, they've always got some kind of small, uh, what's it, the small print clause where somehow you violated the terms and conditions, and uh, you should have done differently, and then they want to sell you something else even more expensive, that's going to work better the next time. So it's an absolute scam, and uh, uh, witchcraft and terrorism seem to go t- a lot together often.
0: What methods have you used to reach uh, gorillas with the gospel? Film
1: evangelism, the Jesus film, uh, a gospel recordings, World Missionary Press, gospel literature, a lot of literature evangelism, personal evangelism, and public meetings. So on my first cross-border mission into Mozambique, um, I had the opportunity of having a large uh, venue for film evangelism. In fact, it was quite funny because there I had arrived in Mozambique on my motorbike and put before the people... Uh, that um, I brought the Jesus film in Portuguese and the people were super excited. They said, Pray for us that we can get a 16 millimeter projector. And there was a real deflated response. And they must have thought, Is this person crazy? Come here to show us a film and he didn't bring a projector. Um, yeah, I didn't have money for a projector. In fact, it cost 650 Rand, which was more than a month's salary at that stage, to buy uh, four reels of Jesus film. A projector would have only cost 600 Rand. So, a one. Film, sixteen mil film, cost more all three reels of it than it projected it. I mean it's so different from when we later got video cassettes and, and discs, but anyway, we're back in the sixteen mil zone. We're talking about nineteen eighty two. So I uh, afterwards had somebody approach me say, Come to the British Embassy, corner of Vladimir Lenin and Mao Tung Avenue tomorrow, and let's see if the British Embassy will be willing to lend their sixteen mil projector to you because they've got one. And I went there, and uh, sure enough, the British consul was quite uh, sympathetic and positive and willing to let me borrow this 16mm projector. But he said, but I'm sorry to tell you that there's power failure most of the time here. We only occasionally get electricity. So if you don't have a generator and we don't have one to spare, I don't think it's going to work. But, um, you know, you're welcome to borrow it. So I took the 16mm projector. We went to a church building. The church building was burned out, bombed out, there was no roof, um, no pews, it was a hollowed out wreck, Um, not even window frames, I mean everything had been shot out and bullet holes in the walls and so on. Well, as you can imagine, there weren't any plugs either, there were just some holes in the walls with some wires, so I started twisting wires and trying not to electrocute myself to uh, take off the plugs with my little leatherman and uh, wind the wires around one another, and Then we prayed for electricity, which is real prayer faith in that condition. And uh, incredibly, believe it or not, people standing around were absolutely astounded when electricity came on in time for us to show the film. So we showed the film, and the electricity lasted almost the end of the film, but at about the time of the crucifixion scene, everything went dark. Well, I switched on my flashlight, and I stood up, and I started to heavily preach on the crucifixion, thought, well, this is not a bad place to stop, that's good. But while I was still preaching, the light came back on. We were able to finish the film, get through to the resurrection, the ascension, and then the light went out again. And so I stood up and gave the final appeal. And as I was speaking, I started to see men in camouflage carrying AKs coming towards the front. And I thought, this is it, because... um, It was illegal to be a missionary and to do evangelism in Mozambique at that time. And uh, I remember Roger Voke saying, preach every time as though you're a dying man to dying men. Like it's the last chance you may have to preach or the last chance they may have to hear you. Uh, You know, preach like this could be your last opportunity or the last opportunity for someone you're speaking to. Well, it was easy to anticipate that then because it looked like this might be the last sermon I ever preached. And here these men were coming forward. Obviously our enemies, the communist terrorists, and as they got to the front, they knelt down and they put the AKs on the ground um, in the dirt in front of them and they were wanting to surrender their lives to Christ. So my first film evangelism in Mozambique, and I'm really getting some of my enemies coming to Christ. And I had the opportunity of baptizing people who were my enemies in a human sense, communist forces. And uh, some of these folks were weeping and literally turning that soft sand dirt in front of them into a bit of mud. And uh, to be able to counsel people who were communists to Christ, that was a serious privilege. That was just the first of many opportunities. I had times when I was traveling on my motorbike across Mozambique and a rainstorm hit and I stopped and went into what you'd call a pub or a shabin, some kind of place of illegal alcohol. and um, It was a place out of the rain, so i got off my motorbike, go in there. And I had these gospel recordings uh, flip charts which was it actually was three-sided cardboard with a pin on one's end and you put the you put the gospel recording on and using a pin in a hole on around the side you spun this around at a at a decent pace so it was you could hear it well without it being too slow or too fast, trying to get that right pace. And we got the hang of it after a while. And that was gospel recordings before we had cassettes, before we had the hand cranked or solar panel powered um, audio recorders, the proclaimers, the gospel messengers, we had the card talks. And so I used these card talks, which were quite intriguing and actually worked. And uh, people could hear the man speaking in their own language. And, you know, in Sena, in Yao, in um, uh, Chang'an, uh, in Chonga, uh, Portuguese and so on. So different languages I'd use at different times. And in this particular beer hall, I had people coming to me afterwards wanting literature and I was giving them the Sedo uh, World, Worldwide Evangelization for Christ WIC, um, uh, gospel leaflets and World Missionary Press tracks and getting some good responses. There was a time that I was able to go into a Zonu terrorist base up in Zimbabwe and uh, ask them if they wanted to see a film in Shauna. They were Shauna speaking. And I had the Jesus film, Sean, a 16 mm projector, cranked it up, and off we went, and they saw the film. Now, the the Jesus film was based on the Gospel of Luke. So we get to the end of the film, and every every word in the film is from Luke. So, so, okay, you have seen the film. Now read the book and meet the star. And I was handing out Gospels of Luke and Sean, and then asking people to come forward and surrender their lives to Christ. You've seen the film. Read the book and meet the star. And now I'm going to introduce you to Jesus, how you can surrender your life to Christ. And it may not have been a very orthodox type of evangelism, but it actually worked. And I had good responses. And I thought, you know, my brother was fighting these same terrorists not that long ago in the Rhodesian army. Um, I was in the South African army, but, uh, you know, these are our enemies. And I had the opportunity of leading these people to Christ, explaining the gospel to them, challenging them. And I had opportunities of preaching even to the CIO, the Central Intelligence Organization of Zimbabwe, We'd been doing evangelism with a group of terrorists on what we called Hill, just outside uh, Murtari, uh, on the Mozambique border. And on the way uh, out, we got ambushed by a group of CIO, um people who wanted to catch us because they heard that we were propagandizing their men and wanted to know. So they took me off to um, 3rd Brigade headquarters in Mutari, and came in was very daunting because you walk into the room and it looked like a hardware store, a table with all kinds of um, intimidating looking equipment that they might be using for, you know, pulling out teeth or fingernails or something, and there's a chair with with arms and legs with leather straps, which is awfully intimidating, uh, especially when they had batteries, or car batteries around with wires and crocodile clips, so it looked like you might be charged with electricity instead of with the law, and... As I got there, the first question asked me is, what are you teaching our I men? So I started to preach the gospel. I said, no, no, stop, stop. Why have you come to Zimbabwe? So I gave my me. And it was so funny. These people started to squirm and shuffle their feet and look down at the floor and scratch them back of their head. And I started to hear men saying, my sister's very religious and uh, my mother's a Christian and things like this. And and you could see conviction was coming on some of them. And This shouldn't have been a funny situation. The CIO are no joke. I mean, they tortured and murdered a lot of people. But um, we had the privilege of driving out there just about an hour or so later with all of them holding Bibles on their arms, waving goodbye to us. And it it was such a picture to think, you know, these brutal CIO um, secret police, uh, they wanted to interrogate us, and we ended up turning the tables, interrogating them with the gospel. Conviction of sin came upon them, and they ended up with Bibles on their arms, and we ended up free. So, yes, you can win your enemies for Christ and it is possible to uh, evangelize amongst terrorists and communists and I've had success, I've had the privilege of seeing these people come to Christ.
0: Is it feasible to evangelize um, one's enemies, Dr. Hammond?
1: I believe so. Just think biblically. uh, We are told that we are called to be more than a conqueror. Now David, King David, as the shepherd boy, he killed Goliath. So David's a conqueror. Killing Goliath was a tremendous achievement. But Jesus is more than a conqueror. He took Saul, the persecutor of the church, and turned him into Paul, the apostle, the missionary of the church. So, yes, we can evangelize our enemies. The Bible says, greater love is no one in this than he laid down his life for his friend. Well, that's the greatest love humans could have. But our Lord did better than that. He laid down his life for his enemies. We were Christ's enemies when he died for us. So Christ died for his enemies, and even on the cross he's praying, "Lord, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I believe we can evangelize our enemies. So I was running a Bible study and prayer fellowship in the South African Infantry. And on my first uh, Sunday in the SADF, I uh, asked the chaplain if I could speak up after the Sunday service. And he gave me permission. So I stood up and faced the hundreds of men of my company in uh, Winello Hall in 6 South African Infantry in Grahamstown, And I stood up and I said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I want to honor him during my next two years here. If anyone else feels the same, please see me afterwards. Let's start a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. And that's the start of our mission. Frontline Fellowship really began with that vision. And we had just three at first. There was just um, myself and two others who started this Bible study and prayer fellowship, but it grew. And soon there were six, and then there were 12. And by the end of the second phase, there were 24. And by the end of, of our two years military service, there was more than 89 of us gathered together for prayer in the final evening celebration in Wendell Hall in six South African Infantry. And many of them end up as missionaries with Youth for Christ and Youth for the Mission and many different groups around Operation Mobilization. And uh, I got the vision during one of our all-night prayer meetings, the enemy are coming to us with hate. Have we ever gone to them with love? They're coming to us with bombs. Have we ever gone to them with Bibles? They're they're coming to subvert our countries with their terrorism, but we can subvert them with evangelism. And so the vision came out of recruiting Christians from military background who'd be willing to go into communist countries like Angola and Mozambique to smuggle in Bibles to help evangelize and to turn some of these enemies of ours into our friends, into our brothers in Christ, and into evangelists. In fact, I had the privilege of doing just that. One of my co workers in Mozambique after a while was Zhao, who had been trained in Patricia Lumumba University. He'd been trained to be a terrorist in the High Institute of Learning for Terrorists in in Russia. And uh, he came back and became one of our evangelists in Mozambique and one of our couriers and uh, Bible distributors um, in the country. So, yes, we can evangelize our enemies, and that is the model that we see in the Bible. That's what Jesus did for us. Uh, Paul started as an enemy of the church and he became a great advocate and apostle for the church.
0: What resources are available uh, for those who want to transform terrorists and regenerate revolutionaries?
1: Well, there's some great resources. I think some of the greatest tools we've used over the years, I found the Jesus form in many languages. And I must found the Jesus form in about uh, 20 or 30 languages myself. Uh, We've got the Jesus form in about 100 languages and I know that it's been translated into about 4,000 languages around the world. Uh, so the Jesus film is very effective because all Scripture. It's two hours, and it's, it's straightforward without any tricks and special effects. It's um, it's biblically faithful. So film evangelism is good. For gospel booklets, I found World Missionary Press um, gospel booklets. They're all Scripture. Those are outstanding. I've distributed hundreds of thousands of these gospel booklets throughout Africa, and my favorite is Satan versus Christ. There's also help from above, but Satan vs. Christ is showing very much the conflict between Christ and Satan in gospel format, all scripture. And I find these WMP gospel booklets in multiple languages extremely useful. I've also designed a few tracks myself. So we've got a whole section in our website now of tracts for terrorists or gospel for guerrillas or true freedom for freedom fighters, depending on how you want to put it. And uh, one of mine is The World's Greatest Revolutionary. So the world's greatest revolutionary looks at it's got pictures of Karl Marx and Engels and uh, Lenin, and Stalin on the cover, and uh, of course people think who's the world's greatest revolutionary? But as chosen, these these communist revolutionaries are all fakes and frauds and uh, hypocrites. The only really great revolutionary has been our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who really changed the world, turned it upside down, right side up, and that Jesus is the world's greatest revolutionary. Because he does the revolution in your heart, the Jesus revolution. So it's it's speaking in communist kind of terminology to bring the gospel to a communist. And uh, so World's Greatest Revolution is one tract that is Another is the heart and soul of Karl Marx, which shows the incredibly evil satanic heart of Karl Marx and what a disaster he was. Uh, Karl Marx never did a day's work in his life, so he wasn't much of a worker. He lived off other people's money and inheritances and gambling, all sorts of things that Marx is not meant to do. Um, He also couldn't have been a very nice person. Some of his children died of starvation, and uh, his wife and two of his daughters committed suicide, so he couldn't have been much of a bundle of laughs to live with. Um, The Heart of Communism, Glamorizing a Mass Murderer on Che Guevara, is our other tracks, Communist Liberation, showing that they never liberate anything. Um, There's something better I want you to know, and uh, we've got other tracks like Reclaiming Surrendered Ground, Shattered Hopes, Broken Dreams, and uh, The Greatest Man, The Greatest Book, and What Must I Do to Inherit eternal Life, Where Will You Spend Eternity, Who Killed Jesus? These are just some tracks that we found very effective that we've designed for reaching um, Marxists and uh, secular humanist terrorists on the ground. There's a whole range of excellent tracks designed to reach Muslims for Christ, most of which have been written by Gerhard Niels, one of our board members who is a veteran of the Second World War. He actually fought in the Battle of Berlin as an eight, as a 15-year-old boy with a fast to take up T-34 tanks. And he became a great missionary to Muslims. He spent years in a Soviet concentration camp, Gulags. So he's uh, someone who knows war and he knows evangelism amongst Muslims. Gerhard Niels trained me on how to win Muslims to Christ. And uh, he took me door-to-door in a Muslim Malay quarter, so what we call Burqab, and I saw how he presented the gospel. And I the of one of my tracks, two men went up to the temple to pray based on the most effective parable that he used many a time to win Muslims to Christ. So that's also available amongst our tracks for terrorists. But uh, there's a whole range of excellent Muslim evangelism tracks from Life Challenge Africa written by Gerhard Niels, or people he's trained that we use and make available. And... Probably the best tool now for reaching Muslims for Christ is the Message of Nabi Isa, which is in a video format, and it's a website, themessageofnabiisa.org, that one can uh, find and go on to. We've got Facebook pages also. uh, Muslim Evangelism is one uh, to try and specifically reach Muslims with the gospel. And so these are some of the great resources available that I highly recommend.
0: Can you please just restate um, where listeners can... Find and download your tracks on uh, For Terrorists.
1: Yes, so www.livingstonfellowship.co.za www.livingstonfellowship.co.za or as Americans say Z-A and uh, you'll find on www.frontlinemissionsa.org S-A short for South Africa frontlinemissionsa.org and you'll see we've got tracks, digital evangelism resources links to the Jesus form, the Bible in many languages including in Arabic and, uh, of course, for the Muslim evangelism, particularly the the message of Nabi Isa, Nabi, N-A-B-I, Isa, I-S-A. Nabi means prophet and Isa, Jesus in Arabic. So the message of Nabi Isa, uh, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in, written in such a way that Muslims understand that it's consistent with what they used to and the kind of style that they get in the Quran. So the message of Nabi Isa is written by God. Gerhard Nils, from a lifetime of knowing how to reach Muslims for Christ. We've organized this on the website. These are great resources you can use for reaching Muslims for Christ. Um,
0: is it, has it been much success in winning Muslims to the Messiah?
1: Yes, there has. And there are some wonderful stories. Uh, just in front of me here, I've got Son of Hamas uh, by Masab Hassan Yusuf. And uh, this book, um, Son of Hamas, is a testimony of a Muslim insider Hamas chap who rejected his violent destiny and is now risking everything to expose the closely guarded secrets and show a way of peace. So he's a converted terrorist. I was on the um, Islam Rising DVD where we had a, a PLO terrorist who was also with me on giving his testimony of how he came to Christ and how to understand Islam from a perspective of of jihadist. There's um, Michael Youssef's written Jesus, Jihad, and Peace. And uh, we've got Defeating Jihad, uh, which is by Sergei Trifkovic. Um, and this is an incredible form, How to Defeat Jihad Through Evangelism. We can win the war on terror uh, by evangelism. So defeating jihad through evangelism. I believe the best way to respond to terrorism today is through evangelism. And I believe... Instead of sending in the Marines, we should be sending in the missionaries. Instead of bombing the place, we should be uh, bringing in Bibles. So there's a better way. There's a more excellent way. And instead of just being a conqueror, we can be more than a conqueror because sadly what's happening today is so much of what's being done to fight terrorism is counterproductive. Just think how America had their so-called war on terror, and after 20 years in Afghanistan, what did they do? They betrayed the people, pulled out, and literally betrayed the people and left behind billions of dollars of high-tech weaponry and basically made the Taliban the best equipped terrorist on the planet and all the Christians in Afghanistan have been annihilated since, door-to-door systematic extermination of Christians. Anybody who was left behind, betrayed by the Americans, uh, executed by the Taliban. So, that was America's way of fighting terrorism to invade Afghanistan, bomb it and go berserk for years and years and years and at the end betray them and now Afghanistan is much worse off than it ever was before the Americans went in. That just shows the, the uh, um, counterproductive nature of the way the American government, the deep state, fights terrorism. Think of when uh, George Bush uh, invaded Iraq. Iraq was a country with 1.6 million Christians who had more religious freedom in Iraq than anywhere else in the Middle East, with the exception of Syria. And they, those poor people are being targeted now because they've got a stable government that that rejects persecution church and protects the Christians. Egypt was another country in the Middle East with millions of Christians and a government that was protecting them. In fact, Egyptian military were protecting uh, every church in the country 25 hours a day. And then um, under President Barack Hussein Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, they worked with the so-called Arab Spring and the U.S. government destabilized the allies in Egypt and overthrew the government of Mubarak and brought in the Muslim Brotherhood who were radical, extremely radical. They had murdered the previous uh, previous Egyptian president, Sadat, for um, making peace with Israel. And uh, Muslim Brotherhood, despite being the fathers of Hamas, for example, Hamas has grown out of the Muslim Brotherhood. uh, Hillary Clinton said that the Muslim Brothers are a force for peace and moderation in the Middle East, which must be one of the more imbecilic things said. And they literally put the Muslim Brotherhood in power and gave them high-tech weaponry and uh, jet fighters, uh, top-class tanks, and so on. And the Muslim Brotherhood destroyed vast amounts of churches. In one weekend, 76 churches were destroyed in Egypt. Christian girls being kidnapped, huge amounts of terrorism increasing in Egypt. Uh, Christians being uh, beheaded by ISIS, another terrorist group founded by the US government. And uh, at the end of it, The situation is so much worse and millions of Christians fled the Middle East. And uh, the destabilizing of these countries that had given religious freedom, like Iraq and Syria and Egypt, uh, caused tremendous chaos. Indian military coup ousted the Muslim Brotherhood and brought some stability to Egypt. But how much chaos and how much loss of life in the interim. So this is how uh, Western secular humanists fight terrorism. They leave the situation much, much, much worse than it was before. Iraq today is much worse today than it was before the U.S. intervention. And the number of Christians has gone from 1.6 million down to less than 100,000 in Iraq. It's an absolute catastrophe. We've lost more than a million and a half Christians out of Iraq as a direct result of U.S. war and terror, which did anything but fight against terror. It actually uh, aggravated the situation, made a bad situation much worse. So I would say Uh, stop sending in the Marines and bombing the place and start sending in the missionaries and supplying Bibles. Uh, We've got a proven track record that that works so much better. Mozambique, which was a communist country when we first started work there back in 1982, today is a free country where the gospel's freely available, where churches that have been confiscated have been returned to the church and been rebuilt, where missionaries can operate, where Christian schools can operate, and where Bibles are no longer illegal. So, Mozambique is so much better than it was before, and that's as a direct result of prayer and evangelism and missions. The same we can say for Angola, South Sudan, another success story. The whole of Eastern Europe opened up because of the seven-year Jericho prayer march and the focus of missionaries to the Persky Church and gospel radio broadcast, Bible smuggling. So we've got success stories where evangelism's been used. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Czechoslovakia, Croatia, Slovakia, Uh, Romania, Bulgaria are freed now and open for the gospel. South Sudan, that's a much better way than doing it than the way the American government's been bludgeoning the people of Afghanistan and Iraq, which are infinitely worse today than they were before the so-called war on terror. So, yes, um, there's a better way and there are better resources available. Can you...
0: Uh, mention some of the resources that are available for listeners who would like to learn how to reach Muslims for Christ.
1: Yes, please. Uh, visit our William Carey Bible Institute. That's WC Bible Institute. Sorry, William Carey BI. William Carey BI, short for William Carey Bible Institute. William Carey website. You'll find we've got a whole series of materials on Muslim evangelism, much of it from Gerard Niels of Life Challenge Africa, made freely available We've started out for the Persecued Church, but now it's made available for anyone around the world. Um, so visit our WilliamCareybi.org website, and on the FrontlineMissionSA.org, you'll find lots of digital evangelism, um, Muslim evangelism, uh, tracks, um, uh, audios, videos, great resources that will help you in reaching Muslims, including links to the Jesus form in different languages, gospel recordings, and a whole lot of other great resources World Missionary Press Gospel Booklets. Uh, These are the essential ammunition in spiritual warfare, and we can supply you with literally tens of thousands of Gospel booklets and tracts to to make this possible. Our Literature for Africa in Cape Town actually supplies about 100 tons of Bibles and books completely free every year in up to 100 languages, and uh, this can make all difference. This is what we need to win our world for Christ. We need Christians to get into a habit, a lifestyle of evangelism, sowing gospel seed and using their social media contacts to proclaim the gospel and link people to these great websites like the Nabiisa.org, uh, which can directly present the gospel in a way that Muslims understand and can relate to. Are there
0: any other ways that um, each one of us can unter- counteract and undermine terrorism?
1: Yes, I believe so. I think a lifestyle of ministry and missions... One of the best things I ever did was starting a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. So I'd recommend all of our listeners to either join a Bible study and prayer fellowship or start one if if you don't have one in your school, your college, your workplace, your home or your neighborhood. Start a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. We can send you good resources. You can see all kinds of Bible study materials on our livingstonfellowship.co.za website (coughs) and You can get good literature from Literature of Africa including Bible study materials if you live close to Cape Town. We can supply that too. And uh, I think also to mobilize people uh, to observe the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We're coming up to the 12th of November which is IDOP, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted. Uh, We run the www.idop-africa.org website. You can also find the Facebook page for that, idop-africa. But uh, idop is um, short for International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted. For over 30 years we've been mobilizing churches to observe a day of prayer for the persecuted and we choose November because 9th of November is when we remember that the Berlin Wall came down great answer to the se- to prayer of the sev- Jericho prayer march and uh, the prayer focus and bring down the Iron Curtain and uh, of course 11th of November is when we remember those who died in the wars, the date being from the 11th day of the 11th month when The guns fell silent in the First World War. And, uh, yes, we remember those who've died in the wars. We need to remember those who are suffering for Christ today and speak up for churches that are being persecuted today. So that's something we can do is mobilize people to observe and support idop-africa.org website or visit idop-africa website, Facebook page. Um, Remember, you can also email mission at frontline.org.za. And what can we do to motivate
0: and mobilize our friends, our networks, congregations, communities to see war zones as mission fields and persecutors of the church as targets for evangelism?
1: My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. So the first thing is information. We need to be informed. Secondly, we need to be interceding. And thirdly, we need to be involved. Be informed, be interceding, uh, be involved. And that's like Project Nehemiah, how Nehemiah starts to mobilize the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We need to Mobilize our friends, family, and congregation and community to recognize the needs of the persecuted church. And that's why I think the International Day of Prayer coming up this coming Sunday, the 12th of November, is a good idea. It's normally the second Sunday in November to focus people to remember the persecuted church. And in this month where we often remember those who've died in the wars, it's it's a good connection because there's a spiritual war going on in the world. There's a war against the church, a war against um, evangelism and Bibles. So International Day of Prayer uh, 12th of November, mobilize people. Encourage folks to visit the www.idop-africa.org website.
0: Dr. Hammond, thank you for your unique insights into dealing with terrorists. Given that the topic of today's show was transforming terrorists, uh, we'll close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Thank you very much for joining us for from the front line. God bless and good night.